Derm 2023 is right around the corner. You do not want to miss this meeting. Welcome to the special edition of the Dermalorian podcast from the Dermatology Education Foundation. The Dermalorian podcast is an independent program made possible with support from UCB. In this special edition, we offer a sneak peek of Derm 2023 coming up August 3rd through 6th at the Encore at Wynn in Las Vegas. Hi, I'm Dr. Adam Friedman, and I'm telling you to get your ass to Derm 2023. Clearly, there is a lot of excitement. So what is Derm, or the DEF Essential Resources Meeting? Derm 2023 is the largest national CME conference for nurse practitioners and physician assistants in dermatology. We have a jam-packed curriculum filled with tons of clinical pearls brought to us by our esteemed and rockstar dermatology faculty. They're going to bring their A-game this year as they have every year in the past. And I can't wait to see you all there to learn alongside with you and to have a little bit of fun along the way. That was DEF Advisory Council member and dermatology physician assistant, Andrea Wen. There are more than 20 hours of CME credits available over the course of the weekend, as well as opportunities to learn about new products and treatments, interact with industry colleagues in the exhibit hall, network, and have fun. This year's conference theme, explains DEF founder and dermatology nurse practitioner Joe Gorelick, is Stranger DX. It's inspired by the hit Netflix series Stranger Things and All Things 80s. What could be more appropriate than Stranger Things in the world of dermatology? We're going to have a tremendous amount of cases that are not what you might expect, maybe more on the strange side, but updates for us to improve our skills as clinicians that we can take back to our office and utilize right away. The Derm 2023 agenda includes medical dermatology, cosmetic interventions, diagnostic advancements, panel discussions, and more. A popular returning Derm faculty member, Dr. Ted Rosen will present on the epidemic of STDs. Half, actually 53%, of all new STD infections occur in those 15 to 24. You interact with those people a lot. 15-year-old, 16 and up, thereabouts, you treat for acne. You treat for verruca vulgaris. Be a resource for them. Now, I must tell you, if you see STDs in 15 to 24-year-olds, then we need to do a better job educating the adolescents. We need to make accurate sex and STD instruction a priority. Now, this is very important. A lot of young people don't get tested because they don't want to go to the family doctor or the pediatrician because they're afraid that the fact that they're participating in sexual activity or the fact that they might have a disease might get back to their parents. But there are two ways young people can get tested confidentially. So one is get tested. That should actually be .cdc.gov. There's a G at the end of it. This is a part of the government that actually works. But don't discount the potential for STDs based upon age, here are some studies, I'm not going to read them, but you can look at them briefly. 
who show that sexual activity in the older set doesn't just disappear. And older individuals participate in that same hookup culture, casual encounters, condomless sex, things that are promoted by the ease of finding partners on the internet. The commonality of living in retirement communities, the availability of drugs for erectile dysfunction, dating apps for seniors. So never ever discount STDs based upon age. Anyone can get an STD. New to the Durham faculty this year, Dr. Michelle Hurie will address forever chemicals and their relevance to dermatology. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about what these chemicals are, the per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. And that actually includes um, um, something called PFAAs, so um, polyfluoroalkyl acid, as well as precursor agents that get turned into the PFAAs with um, biotransformation, whether it's pH, heat, sunlight, whatever it is, that it can actually change into um, one of the PFAAs. And if you want to think about anything that you come into contact with on a daily basis as to whether or not it could have a um, PFAS in it or a forever chemical, you'd probably be right. So in the 1940s, this was um, manufactured by 3M. And it was meant to resist water and oil and stains. And you know this as Scotchgard and Teflon. Okay, these were the initial original ones, which were the PFOA and the PFOS. And, you know, that was wonderful. They work great because they are chemically and thermally stable. They also are highly mobile. And this is important in the water supply because it just kind of goes everywhere. And it's very, very unique in the, in the properties that it has, which actually not other chemicals have these sort of both hydrophobic and lipophobic properties. Usually you have one or the other, but the fact that it has both is kind of what makes it a great thing of kind of balling up and resisting things like the water and the oil and grease. And so to date, we have over 9,000 of these PFAS compounds. Most of them are those sort of precursors that turn into the acids, but there's over 9,000. It's really, really crazy. And they have absolutely been linked to various diseases, especially the developmental abnormalities and cancers. The most important thing is the fact that they are persistent in nature, and these are why it's called forever chemicals. They don't break down with normal processes like heat and UV exposure, and they absolutely bioaccumulate within our bodies, within wildlife, within the food supply. So this is why it's so insidious. When it comes to treating atopic dermatitis, faculty veteran Dr. Adam Friedman emphasizes that it is a heterogeneous disease. So much so that in a recent publication, what was proposed is that we should refer to atopic dermatitis as a spectrum that can cover a wide range of clinical presentations to really ensure that we do not miss the mark and call this something else. And to be fair, when approaching these patients, yes, I think a lot of times in, in dermatology, it's a doorway diagnosis, it's textbook, though I would argue 
that term is is quite misleading as the textbooks have not been all inclusive uh, throughout history in terms of uncovering the gamut of skin diseases and their appearances. But even just atopic dermatitis, being a clinical diagnosis can be challenging uh, to even the the most uh, seasoned of, of dermatologists. And so with that in mind, ways you can avoid uh, being uh, guided down the wrong differential path, make sure to get your hands on as many images as possible. Um, this is an example from a recent atlas called the Full Spectrum of Dermatology Analysis that I had the good fortune of publishing with my co-editor, Dr. Misty Alarian, and many, many others. And I think what's really helpful is to not just look at images of a condition to really get a feel of how protein it could be, but also looking at, at what it, it if, or how it appears on different skin tones and different locations and different demographics to really appreciate and digest and be able to manage any and all who walk through your door. And of course, there are plenty of didactic case presentations. Dermatology nurse practitioner and DEF advisory council member Leanne Ponch shares the case of a 15-year-old female seen in follow-up for acne care. Interesting to note that she had only used topical therapies for her acne, and her acne really had been very mild in nature and stable uh, for at least a year. At the end of the visit, I do what I did, uh, what I did, what I do uh, in most of my patient visits, which is just to step back and say, do you have any questions? Is there anything else I can help you with today? And she looked at her mom and she said, oh, and by the way, I have this rash and it sort of looks like bruises on my lower legs. And it started about two weeks ago. And so I started to ask a couple of questions. She said they were itchy, they were tender, they were moderate. And then I said, okay, so what happened before the rash? And her mom chimed in at this point and said that about six weeks prior to the visit, she was seen for a well child check at her primary care provider. Over the course of that visit, she uh, received both her flu vaccine as well as a COVID-19 booster shot. Her mom indicated that as was common because uh, this patient hated immunizations, uh, she had a near syncable episode uh, at the office, um, but this was really normal. But what was interesting is that um, the visit was on a Friday and uh, usually the patient recovered from these sort of vasovagal events. Um, but in fact, over the weekend, she had a fever. She complained of some anorexia and was quite lethargic, uh, but then fully recovered by Monday. And so uh, mom really associated her symptoms with this fear of the immunizations and maybe a little bit somewhat secondary to the COVID-19 booster. That's just one of many stranger cases to be presented at Durham 2023. And oh, by the way, if you want to know the diagnosis for that case, keep an eye on future DEF communications. The final countdown to Durham 2023 has begun. Stay tuned to DEF Communications for more. And if you're new to this podcast, get past episodes wherever you stream audio. The Dermalorian Podcast is an independent program made possible with support from UCB. 
Thanks for listening in. You do not want to miss Durham 2023, Stranger DX.